0: Welcome back at CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host Scott Bogman. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor, and creator and curator of everything of CFB Winning Edge, and our friend Xavier Trish. You can follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish T R I C H E and at CFB Winning Edge. For Nick, Nick, what's going on? Anything changing in your world? Are you staying uh, socially distanced and uh, isolated and quarantined and all that good stuff?
1: <laughs> I'm
0: I'm
2: always uh, pretty socially distanced from the outside <laughs> world, but uh, this week was uh, a fairly hit a, hit a fairly big milestone for uh, CFP Winnie Edge as far as the calendar goes. Finished up our uh, major. Returning production sheet that uh, in years past had been part of our uh, Tier 3 offerings for patrons, so our, our top level, uh, but decided to add that into our FBS team profiles this year, our, our Tier 2 sort of mega uh, set of Google Sheets. It's really sort of the the uh, cornerstone, basically, of everything we do. So I uh, was able to get through all 130 teams, all the stats, went through color-coded who's Uh, on the roster, who's not, who transferred, and and, uh, so you can get a a breakdown of, you know, the percentage of passing yards for all 130 teams, the percentage of rushing touchdowns, of uh, tackles for loss, of uh, all the uh, different Havoc plays. So I got all 130 teams done, got a a big uh, sheet that shows all the percentages for all 130 teams, and uh, that was a, a big part of my last... I don't know, month or so. So happy to happy to be done with that and, and move on to a new project uh, starting soon.
0: <laughs> and what uh, what new project is coming up next? I mean, well, uh, there,
2: so <laughs> so the the next thing on my list is kind of a kind of a big one. So I'm going to be uh, somewhat. Uh, quiet about it, just in case it's maybe Ooh. biting off a little more than I can chew in a reasonable amount of time. So we'll see. I, I think there's a chance to get it done before the start of the season, but I'm I'm going to try not to hype it up too much because I, I I would rather. Uh, Under promise and over deliver, if possible. Uh, but it's 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 pretty big. It's it, I've touched on it at a few different times. It's it's related to coaches and trying to do a deeper dive into coach history and and things related to our head coach ratings and and all that sort of stuff. So uh, trying to to I, I I have it mapped out. I have a plan to get it done uh, by the start of the 2020 college football season, if in fact there is one uh and so i'm I'm hopeful about it but i'm probably not gonna uh <laughs> get regular updates on it just in case it's a little too you know it, it, it's a big one so I, i'm gonna try to try to get there but but there's a i, mean, I want to give myself like i guess an out if possible
0: yeah yeah no i'm i'm i i relate to that so uh a <laughs> lot because there are many things i'm like i'm gonna do this and i start and i'm like Nope, not doing that. That's going to take way too much time. So, uh, Xavier, have you been uh, remaining quarantined and enjoying all of your video games still? Are you starting to go stir crazy, or how's it going for you?
1: Well, you can't go stir crazy when your dad is making you move logs. So, ah. uh yeah, you know, perks of living at home with your parents is that when he decides to cut down a tree, you're the person who has to pick up all the bri- the the stuff. So, yeah, I was acting as a Navy Seal this morning, picking up logs for about four and a half hours and taking them up the hill.
0: Yep, yep. I've done. Uh, I haven't done that bit exactly, although I have like after a monsoon, we have a gigantic. Uh, when I lived at home, uh, my my mom and grandma's house had gigantic uh, eucalyptus trees and. One of them broke in half, and I got to uh, cut it up with a chainsaw and then take it to the dump. And uh, I didn't cut the pieces off small enough. Like, you know, when I had all my energy, I got this big-ass piece of the tree in my truck. And then I got to the dump, and I was exhausted, and it took me like 30 minutes to drag it out (laughs) because I could not pick it up because I was wiped out. (coughs) Excuse me. I am there with you. I had to pay a couple guys to come help me, uh, dump it out of my truck. So, um, but I've been there. I mean, yard work is always fun, but it'll get you into shape. So if you were feeling like you weren't in shape, uh, you know, you probably, and I bet you'll sleep really well tonight too. Right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was almost about to fall asleep before the podcast started, so
0: you're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we got good timing here, so uh, I'm glad we beat you to your nap for sure. But uh, we got a lot to cover today. We have news and notes to go over, of course. We're going to get to the defensive P5 uh, returning uh, producers with Nick, and then we're going to talk about the fun belt, the sun belt. Uh, So, uh, you know, conference that Xavier actually enjoys. So yes, that that will be fun. But uh, let's get to this these news and notes here first, Nick. And the first one here we didn't really talk about was that Jabril Cox, a uh, linebacker from North Dakota, who is widely considered uh, going into 2021 the best FCS defensive prospect of the class, has transferred to LSU and looks like he's going to start immediately and upgrade that unit immensely.
2: Yeah and uh it happened sort of toward the beginning of last week or maybe the end of the the week before so uh when we were going over different transfer notes from from that week we kind of missed this one but we talked about we talked about him a little bit uh before when it was announced that he was going to leave North Dakota state uh obviously North Dakota state the the you know premium FCS uh program in the country and has one you know, however many national titles uh, in in recent years, and Cox was a big part of that uh, most recent run. He was uh, an All American uh, this past year, and uh, kind of a, a tackle machine, very athletic, uh, as, as you mentioned, gotten uh, some buzz already from scouts and NFL talent talent evaluators. So uh, he was he was maybe the biggest. Uh, you know, with the, the possible exception of the quarterbacks, I guess, some of the, the big time quarterbacks, probably uh, one of the biggest uh, grad transfer options out there this year. And, and for him to land at LSU, who, of course, has uh, lost so much production and, and their linebacker core specifically is going to be very, very young in 2020. So when you can add a guy who's uh, played a lot of snaps at the collegiate level and is so highly regarded, it's, it's, you know, certainly a boost. So a uh, big pickup for LSU uh, as they're looking to, you know, defend their sec and national championships.
0: And how do you, how do you work this into returning production, Nick? Is it, uh, do, are you counting kind of the starts that he's had or does he zero out because he's an FCS guy or, how does that, how does he transfer into those numbers?
2: So it's it's a little bit of a, it's a little, it might be a little bit confusing because when I, uh, the thing I refer to, the, the returning production, you know, the big sheet that we've got available, all of those numbers don't actually take into uh, account transfers at all. It's only 2019 production lost or Returning, uh, I probably will do an update that includes uh, you know adjusted for transfers because you know a team like Georgia who brought in Jamie Newman who's very experienced or uh, KJ Costell at Mississippi State you know th- those types of things those numbers do have an impact because you know we're, we're Georgia got mentioned a couple of times last week is returning uh, so little production at certain positions uh, quarterback being one of them uh, but you know, it does make sense that they should get some sort of something for Jamie Newman. I I didn't include it because, of course, he, you know, he's a new player, has uh, not worked with any of these, uh, you know, any of his new uh, teammates before. And I I think that is important. So I want to reflect that. But also, we've talked several times about, you know, Bill Connolly's numbers. He does incorporate uh, transfers. And, and he does the the previous year, whatever uh, school adds that into the mix. So eventually, I probably will do an update. I'll probably just do a separate column that includes uh, transfers and just say adjusted for transfers. Uh, so for Cox, his, his you know, tackles, his 90 plus tackles uh, that he got last year aren't incorporated in, L- in LSU's numbers at all. But I do incorporate those numbers when it comes to building his individual Rating. So Cox, because he has been so productive at the SS level, he's picked up 22 production points through his first three seasons, and and so that's brought his uh, his overall rating up to a 93, uh, which is, of course is is quite good. It's it's actually the highest. Uh, on the LSU roster by almost 10 points at the linebacker position uh, despite him being basically a walk-on level uh, rated player coming out of high school. So uh, do incorporate that in his overall his specific rating and that of course goes into LSU's overall rating but right now his actual you know tackles, sacks, tackles for loss, all that sort of stuff isn't reflected in LSU's returning production.
0: And uh Xavier, what do you think about Jabril Cox transferring to LSU?
1: I think it's huge. Um you know, they they lose they lost a lot of talent at the linebacker position obviously going into the draft. And like Nick said, they need a lot of defensive talent here as they lost a lot of uh veteran leadership, you know, Dell Pitt, Queen, just to name a few, Chasing as well. Um Christian Fulton like, they need guys who have played at high levels, played in big games, who can lead this younger team. You know, yes, they have uh, – Is it, it's not Singletary. What is it? On the outside, the cornerback that started – the freshman that was there last year. Stinger. Uh, Stinger. Okay, there we go. Um, who, you know, he's going to have to be one of the other leaders on this team, but they need him at all levels of the defense. And this adds one at the linebacker position, which is huge. Yeah, coming from North Dakota State, this this guy is definitely a, was a hot commodity. Um, ESPN, you know, during kind of all the coronavirus stuff that was going on, this was one of the main things that they did talk about at the time. Uh, so it's a big coup for them and uh, Ed Orgeron down there.
0: Now we had a couple of other transfers. I'm just going to talk through them here and then you guys can jump in. Uh, Akron offensive lineman Brandon Council committed to Auburn as a grad transfer. He started 24 games for the Zips. He was primarily a left guard, and he's not guaranteed a spot, but it seems like he should contend. Uh, Nick, you have a note here that SEC Network analyst Cole Kubalek thinks that he fits best at tackle, and they have lost uh, five senior starters on the offensive line. So getting some experience uh, is huge for them. And then Fabian Lovett, the defensive lineman who uh, announced his transfer from Mississippi State last week, committed to Florida State, and it's likely he'll apply for a waiver, and it seems like he'll probably get it and be granted immediate eligibility. A Florida State also added linebacker Miko Dotson, who led the nation with nine picks at FAU last season. So those two transfers, Nick, uh, how, how are they going to impact those teams?
2: So council at, at Auburn, uh, I am I'm, I'm a big fan of Cole Kubrick's work and, and he, uh, is an Auburn, uh, grad played offensive line at Auburn. And, and so he's always, you know, really tuned in, uh, to that program. And, and he actually shared some video as he was, uh sort of taking a, a deeper dive into council uh after the news broke and um i i certainly you know at this point because I, I honestly haven't watched very much of, of akron in the you know the the last uh, year
0: or two what uh i you know, mean, you I know. didn't it's, watch any of their I'm zero shocked. wins from last year i did <laughs> i i
2: i, I Caught, uh, I remember at least one game that, that I caught on like a Tuesday night, but but yeah, no, believe it or not, I, I wasn't as uh tuned into Akron last year as some other teams, but uh, uh, so I I, I trust Cuba. look I I uh, trust his opinion, especially when it comes to offensive line. And, and, you know, he, he's made some, uh, made a comment to the effect of it. It's nice to have another warm body basically, but he doesn't really expect him to, uh, be a starter. So, uh, that, that seems like a good, a good starting point, but Auburn does need warm bodies. I mean, they lost five, like you said, five senior starters, um, they have uh, gone after JUCO guys uh, this year. They've got two uh, JUCO signees in the, the most recent class who are expected to come in and compete for early playing time, and uh, so they're they're trying to. You know they're probably not done adding transfers if if I were to, to guess they're they're looking to rebuild that unit and it's going to be a major uh storyline for them going into the the season. Uh, Florida State has uh, really hit the transfer portal hard under Mike Norvell and and uh, these two moves are are you know pretty big. I mean uh, Miko Dotson the the corner is is uh, he, he kind of came out of nowhere a little bit. He uh, was a JUCO guy and then wasn't even a starter at the beginning of last season, if, if memory serves, but uh, came out and made big plays. You mentioned nine interceptions led, uh, led the FBS in, in that category. So he's going to come in, probably will compete for a starting job. Floor State, uh, really the, the major weakness for them uh, on paper defensively was corner. I mean, they brought Asante Samuel junior back and, and they've got a lot of talent, uh, mostly at the safety position. They brought in a few, um, you know, corners in the, in the most recent class, but, um, Dotson's probably got a chance to, to play early and based on his past production, probably has a chance to, to do, uh, some good things there. Um, if, uh, if, uh, Love it is is granted immediate eligibility, and based on our conversation last week, I think we agree there probably is a decent chance of that. Um, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna add. He, he's gonna be somebody that can play early, play often, and, and probably provide an impact. He was very highly sought after after he entered the transfer portal. If you you know follow the uh, the reports that were uh, made public after that. So, uh, two big ads for, for Florida state. I I think Dotson probably has a chance to make the biggest immediate impact, but love it. Somebody that, you know, uh, may not be a starter in 2020, but probably will play a lot and have an opportunity to, to become a starter, uh, you know, in 2021, I would say for sure.
0: Xavier, your thoughts on these transfers?
1: Yeah, I love the Auburn transfer. Um, this is a team that really needed bodies. Um, they lost a lot of production up front and honestly with you know Bonix coming back one of the biggest reasons why he did have success last year was because of that offensive line um, and although he is coming into his sophomore year he was still going to need to be upright to be effective um, as well as you know and we both know um, that Auburn likes to run the football their team that really le- leaned on that last year um, waiting for Bonix to come around so the more Confident and uh, veteran leadership that you can have up front, the better. Um, I think Nick is right about him probably possibly moving to tackle. I'd have to do more research on that. Obviously, Uh, moving to love it. I think you know Nick. You made an amazing pick by going with Norvell in the coaches draft. Um, I really um, like the selection, or not the selection, but yeah, the selection because I thought Mike Norvell was going to go for the long term and both of these moves seem a little bit more short term um a little bit more win now Uh, so i really like those moves for him i love Dotson going to fsu this is a guy who could shoot up draft boards if he has anywhere near the production he had at fau so i really love the move for florida state who needs help on the back end
0: now i got norvell
1: by the way yeah i was thinking oh yeah i
2: was like did i I get i was i was was going back (laughs) through the old the old sheets and I had to double check
0: too, but uh, because (laughs) uh, I thought I had Norvell, but because Xavier said it was such confidence, I was like, didn't I get Norvell? So I had to double check, but yes, Yes. I I was first pick. So these are great moves for me. So uh, we obviously know I love these moves, but uh, the last bit of stuff we have to talk about before we, we dive in on the returning defensive starters Um, earlier today, uh, vice president, Mike Pence, uh, participated in a conference call with college football playoff management committee including uh, the commissioners of all 10 FBS conferences in Notre Dame uh, athletic director Jack Swarbrick um, nothing major came out of this I don't think that we were expected but the big thing is uh, is that we probably won't get football college football until the colleges open up the campuses again Nick is that is that kind of where we're at? That was
2: my takeaway, and, and that seemed to be the, there was a quote by Swarbrick that sort of got pulled out in a lot of the uh, tweets that I saw related to this and was highlighted in the, the quick write-up that I uh, read about it. Basically, yeah, saying that there's, uh, you know, the quote is, there's no athletic calculus to engage in if our campuses aren't reopened. And, and I think the big distinction here is, it seems like, you know, maybe there's some progress being made for professional sports uh, that, that might be able to work out some uh, ways to get pro leagues back sooner rather than later. But college football is going to be a little bit more of a, a long term project. And, and nothing, of course, is decided one way or the other quite yet. But, uh, you know, these are, are uh, not professional athletes and and you know are actually tied to college campuses so it makes sense if the campus isn't open you wouldn't want to put uh amateur athletes uh, you know whatever your thoughts of that word are um <laughs> at, at potential harm and, and certainly uh opening up you know campuses for for fans is a is a big part of it so i i could i could see pro sports without fans but but college sports, I, I have a harder time with it, and, and I think it certainly makes sense. If campus isn't open, uh, you wouldn't necessarily ask uh, these players, are you wouldn't expect, you know, very many schools to to agree to to put p- uh, players in more potential harm. So uh, we'll obviously wait and see. We'll we'll hold out optimism. Uh, didn't expect, like you said, any major news or anything to be decided with this, but um, you know that that's a piece to maybe remember that that we probably are going to need to keep an eye on uh, campus situation specifically before we really start to get serious about uh, football on the field this fall or next spring or whenever it's going to be.
0: Xavier, it'd be tough to imagine college football without uh, the band and the fervor and really the pageantry of uh, the entire community coming around. Uh, The the teams that they love here, Um, you know, I know and I know it doesn't you know, if you watch, uh, uh, you know, uh, looking through highlights of of games, I've seen, you know, stadiums that are three quarters empty. Right. So it, it wouldn't be impossible for them to do that. But like Nick said, you know, I don't think there would be anything more hypocritical of, you know, college football playing games with these players and having them practice and all that stuff and not having the campus open. Uh, so they couldn't really be student athletes, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what separates college football and professional football. In my, in my opinion, you know, it's the fan bases, you know, that are crazy everywhere from an Akron to an Alabama that really make what co- college football, what it is, you know, what is college football without you know college game day and that kind of vibe of, People waking up at six, seven o'clock in the morning to get to their fields, alumni and students, you know, painting themselves, making creative signs and TFOs um, and posters all for, you know, their teams. You know, that kind of energy, you know, doesn't really be- isn't really there in professional sports. It's been a lot watered down over the years. So, yeah, professional sports will be perfectly fine, I believe, without fans, um, you know, to the contrary possibly but college fans college games absolutely not it's completely different you know um nobody wants to watch the usc without the trojan running out and you know putting the sword in the middle of the field nobody wants to watch florida state without the chief running out like these are parts of college football that if you didn't have them don't make them the same and honestly for me doesn't make them nearly as watchable um then it's just like a lower league uh professional football at that point, you know, just with college names. Um, So that would make it very disappointing for them to try to do that. So I would honestly tell them not to.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'll take sports any way we get them, to be honest. (laughs) I mean, you know, I I wouldn't like to see – uh, the pageantry, be gone for a season and all that stuff. But, you know, I, and I've said this about baseball, like they could play on the moon. I don't care. Just give me something to watch right now. You know, I hate, I don't hate the UFC, but I'm not like a fervent, passionate UFC fan. I think I've seen in the last, you know, five years, I maybe have seen three of the pay-per-views and it's because I was at a bar when the game was on. So I'm not, you know, over here, like Super UFC, Super Fan ninety nine, but uh, I'll I'll watch it. Give me something. I I, I was saying this on uh, the the In This League pod earlier today. Uh, I just I, I I need something. Give me something I, I don't care what it is <laughs> give me some sports there's only so many super bowl 50 replays i can watch uh i've had it with that stuff so um you know whatever give me ping pong give me darts i don't care give me <laughs> give me a competition that's happening although i say ping pong and darts and if it's on i tried watching did you guys see the horse competition on oh, espn God, no uh, i mean was terrible i thought of the most embarrassing moment of my life and it was less embarrassing than the horse (laughs) competition. Like, they just did... They they needed a practice or, you know, uh, a dry run or something. I mean, even for the NFL draft, they're going to do a mock draft on Monday to make sure their lines are secured and everything is working properly. If all the teams are, you know, on the call and ready to go and all that stuff, they're going to do a run-through first. They should have done that for this horse tournament. It was just... It was just not great, so it was something. I mean, it gave us something to watch, but you know, some of those videos, uh, I felt like I was watching the Blair Witch Project. So, uh, <laughs> a lot of shaky cam, a lot of oh, uh, yeah. pixelated stuff, a lot of delays. Uh, just, just not, not the best setup that we've had. But um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take, I'll take college football any way we get it. Although like Xavier said, it just won't be the same if it doesn't have not only the crowd, but the bands and the pageantry and all that stuff. So, uh, but Nick, I'm going to kind of hand the baton off to you to talk about the, uh, returning production, deep dive of the power five defenses.
2: All right. Uh, Last week, if, if you missed it, we did a deep dive into the Power 5 offenses and uh, oftentimes it was somewhat rambling and a lot of figure you know numbers uh, read off and, and all of that. So I actually did sit down and, and uh, try to write out a, a little bit clearer uh, and put that uh, on our, our patreon for our uh, patrons. If you'd like to go and, and read, you can see all the facts and figures. Uh, I discussed last week and and gives a little more uh, bigger picture, a little more context. I'm going to try to go a little quicker uh, this week, and, and um, I, I think we'll certainly be able to do that. Um, so last week, we, we discussed a little bit what roster strength, uh, the change in roster strength is, and, and uh, all those numbers are the same this week, because roster strength uh, incorpor- uh, incorporates both offense and defense. So don't need to really dive into those. But similar to on the offensive side of the ball, you would expect the average FBS team to return about 60% of whatever category it is. And that just, for whatever reason, you know, it might be plus or minus one or two percentage points, but you're going to expect the average FBS team to return 60%, percent of its tackles, 60 percent of its passing yards, 60 percent of its sacks, whatever it is. And and those numbers are are pretty similar. So uh, this year, the the average FBS team returns 60 and a half percent of their total tackles, 59.28 percent of their tackles for loss, 58.77 percent of their sacks, and 61.69% of their pass breakup. So those are the, the four categories that uh, we're going to focus a, a little bit on today. And, and that makes a certain amount of sense. Tackles, tackles for lost sacks, or uh, havoc plays. Force fumbles are are the other uh, havoc play, and and, you know, passes defensed, uh, which are uh, pass breakups and and interceptions. But force fumbles are such a small sample that I didn't really want to dive into those too much. And then interceptions are uh, a little bit. Uh, they can, they can be a little bit fluky and and there're not very many of those compared to the total number of passes as well so i thought pass breakups would be uh, would make a little bit more sense to to uh, dive into so uh looked at the same you know the the same sets of teams to kind of see if there were uh, certain categories that maybe stick out as as more important or less important on the whole. Uh, looked at the the four playoff teams, LSU, Clemson, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. Um, it, really the only major difference compared to the the power five averages in these categories, uh, each team, each each of these teams had a higher level of their tackles uh, returning, higher level of tackles. For loss And even more so, uh, a higher level of pass breakups than the average team. So uh, those four playoff teams coming into the 2019 season averaged 68.5% of their total tackles, 67% of their tackles for loss, and 73%. 0.65% of their past breakups, and, and that kind of falls in line with uh, some of the research that Bill Connolly has done, talked about him a lot in the past. He's done a lot of returning production write-ups and, and has shown that uh, returning production in the secondary is the most important. Your defi- you know, your corners, your safeties, nickelbacks, things like that. Uh, similar to on the offensive side of the ball, how receiving production is most important. The uh, pass defense, basically, the the secondary is, is going to be think, your most production.
0: Do you, Nick, do you think that's because most uh, college football teams are going more toward spread offenses now? Do you think, or do you think maybe? The other positions, defensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker, are e- more easily replaced than upper echelon defensive backs.
2: So it, it's kind of interesting, something that I've I've uh, seen, and, and I, I make light of it on occasion, and, and sort of joke about how little attention I pay to the NFL, but I actually do. Read a fair amount of NFL like books and and things like that. There have been mm-hmm. there have been studies that actually go back decades that have shown that uh, passing production is the most correlated to winning and and has been since like the '60s. So teams that uh, average a, a higher uh, number of yards per pass attempt. Uh, that number is more correlated with success wins and losses and championships than basically any statistic in the history of football so if you're doing that on the offensive side if you're able to complete a larger number of yards per pass attempt you have a chance for success and then defensively if you're able to limit that you're going to have a better chance for success so for, for whatever reason, that's just sort of what the history has shown. And and so I think it becomes more important because you're right. I mean, obviously passing uh, is more a part of the game now than it really ever has been. Uh, and, you know, more teams are, are passing more in, on early downs instead of just what are traditionally thought of as passing downs, you know, third and long and and second and, and really long, those sort of sort of things. So uh, I think, I think there's certainly part of it, uh, to what you mentioned, that's correct. But I I think the bigger picture is just that's just sort of the way football's proven to be, that it's just passing is is the most important thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, that sounds... Go ahead, Xavier. I I was going to say, that sounds a lot like um if, uh, nba analytics a uh, three-point shot now being used at a high rate same thing with passing in the nfl um now teams are doing it a lot uh, i think teams like the san diego chargers back in the day are finally getting their plaudits for throwing the football a lot where they got you know Air oriel and those guys um but yeah so i think it's kind of the same correlation
0: yeah i mean i know the rockets they don't they don't want you to take any mid-range jumpers they're Uh, It's a harder shot because it's further away from the basket. And if you're going to take that, if you're going to take a harder shot, make it a three. You know, Uh, and and analytics are becoming more and more used in professional sports as they should be. But I didn't mean to cut you off, Nick. So I just wanted to ask that question about the uh, returning defensive backs versus returning defensive linemen and stuff. So.
2: Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I'm glad you did, and and it, you know, we saw similar numbers when we expanded it out and, and just looked at division winners. So, in addition to the playoff teams, uh, we also looked at Georgia, Oregon, Utah baylor wisconsin and virginia those teams also had a higher rate of uh tackles returning than the p5 average and the fbs average uh they had a higher rate of tackles for loss though it was a little bit less than uh the the playoff teams in particular uh interestingly on on both sets the number of sacks that returned were actually below uh, the P five average. So uh, sacks are just kind of a, you know, I think similar studies have shown that uh, hurrying the quarterback, pressuring the quarterback is of course, very important sacks. There's a lot of noise in there because, you know, sometimes you you just miss a guy, but he rushed the throw and throws an interception uh, you know, sacks are just, you know, it makes sense to me that they're not as highly correlated and, and somebody that's a little more sophisticated mathematically could, could probably do a better point of, of saying exactly why that is. But, uh, sacks are, are not as important, perhaps, you know, our, our numbers show a, a little bit that that might be the case, but past breakups, again, this same group is over 70%, almost 71% in, uh, past breakups returning compared to, uh, 66%, which is the, the FBS average. So, uh, I'll, I'll write all that up and, and have it uh, by the end of the week for for our patrons. But uh, breaking it down a little bit, I, I somewhat it, it might sound somewhat random, somewhat haphazard, these cutoffs. But basically, what I tried to do was uh, give a, a cutoff that would give me about the top 10 top 15 nationally, and then the top 25 or 30 nationally and then on the other side the bottom 10 to 15 or the bottom 25 to 30 so that's where these numbers are coming from same for the the offense that we talked about last week but I looked at uh, teams that return 80 percent or more of their total tackles and then teams that return 75 percent or more and then teams that return less than half or 60 percent or less so total tackles th- those are what we're Looking at and I'm, I'm going to read off the, the teams here. So there are 11 P5 teams that return 80 percent or more of their total tackles. That's Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, Oklahoma State, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, Rutgers, Texas A&M, Boston College, Northwestern, Wake Forest, and Arizona. And those are in order from highest to a little bit lower. On the the uh, under 50 percent, there are only six, and these are from the bottom up: Baylor, Minnesota, Utah syracuse miami and kansas so those are the teams that are returning the the lowest amount of their tackling production so you could expect they were probably hit hard at the linebacker position probably
0: hit pretty hard they're gonna to look the like the longhorns this year exactly. From 2019 we'll, we will get to <laughs> we will get to that scott we yeah. will get to
2: that Uh, Looking at tackles for loss, it's the same for uh, the the high end, 80% or more, uh, and and those teams are Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Oklahoma State, Vanderbilt, Florida State, Wake Forest, Indiana, Purdue, Arizona, Oregon State, Texas, and Boston College. On the flip side, less than... 40%, 40%, okay, so, so uh, an even lower uh, number here than, than just total tackles. We've got Baylor, Syracuse, Minnesota, Maryland, Utah, and Miami are the, the bottom six uh, from the P5 level sacks again we we mentioned that they're not maybe as highly correlated or or perhaps we should look at them uh, in addition to other statistics like we talked about with just passing yardage last year because you know only one guy for the most part is going to uh, rack up passing yardage sacks obviously any you know all 11 guys 22 guys can can get sacks but uh, traditionally there's only a few positions that are like pass rush you know the edge rushers things like that those those are the guys that are going to get higher numbers and then you sprinkle in the occasional you know defensive tackle or uh, corner blitz or or whatever so uh these numbers are are not as important perhaps but still we see the teams that return 90 percent or more of their sacks they're nine at the p5 level that's virginia tech oregon state vanderbilt oklahoma state georgia tech florida state wake forest purdue and georgia on the other end, less than forty percent of sacks: Arkansas, Baylor, Syracuse, Minnesota, Maryland, Iowa, and Ohio State. Finally, what could be the most important? Uh, we we don't want to overemphasize it, but you know the, these are the teams that do return eighty-five percent or more of their pass breakups from last year. There are twelve of them at the P-five level. That's Georgia Tech, Oregon, Indiana, Oregon State, Vanderbilt, Wisconsin. Oklahoma State, Washington, Texas, Virginia, and Purdue. So, uh, the, the, you know, that, that is a, a group of teams to watch. Uh, on the other end, there are 16 teams that return less than half of those uh, pass breakups, starting from the bottom. It's Florida, Utah, Baylor, Miami, Kansas, Wake Forest, Alabama, Mississippi State, West Virginia, Syracuse, Michigan, UCLA, Maryland, Minnesota, TCU and Ohio State. So, what's it? What's it all mean? All right, what, what, what does that big, just sort of jumble of teams mean? Texas uh, wins. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it could be, uh, or it's at least something to, to keep an eye on because we did hear <laughs> Texas a couple of times, Twice. right? Yeah, and and Texas is a team that our numbers are are pretty high on this year. They're the clear second team in, in the Big Twelve. I could actually, the you know, since we did our look ahead at the Big 12, I, I think I'm even more sort of excited about Texas than I was. I think that there's a, a legitimate shot uh, that they could, could win the Big 12 this year. I'm sure we'll get more into that in, in later months. But uh, last year, uh, we'll sort of talk about the, the bad end of it first, right? Last year, there was one Power 5 team that was included in all four of those categories. Returned less than 50% of their tackles, 40% tackles for loss, 40% sacks, 50% pass breakups. And it was Texas. Texas. And Texas was a team <laughs> that, you know, a lot of, of folks out there had really high expectations for. We, we touched on it a little bit, but we really sort of uh, only, only, you know, we didn't really dive into it to this depth last year, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't think remember. I could have
0: taken that. So.
2: <laughs> well, I remember looking at it and thinking, you know, why are, are people so high on Texas? Why are they a, a top 15 How team? Why you? are they a top 10 team? Because <laughs> they lost so much production on defense. Everybody was excited about Sam Ellinger, and, and for good reason. but uh, the the overall defensive returning production was so low that it, it makes sense now, looking back, why they had so much trouble and and injuries are certainly an issue. You know the, that had something to do with it. Coaching has has a lot to do with it. I mean, you know, fundamentals and tackling were a bit of an issue for Texas last year. But you know, mm-hmm. if, if we're looking at an extreme example who are the the teams that hit the the bottom end of all these categories and there's only one and it's texas and they just happen to be one of the more disappointing teams compared to their projections and compared specifically to what we thought they could be defensively uh just looking at at raw numbers so uh that's something to keep in mind because this year there are three of those teams baylor was in the category every single time so was syracuse and so was minnesota if we expand it a little bit to 50% of tackles or less, 50% tackles for loss, 50% of sacks, 50% of pass breakups or less, uh, we get a few more teams: Mississippi State, Boston College, Texas, Kentucky, and, and Washington. Oh,
0: man, so uh, this is—I don't—I feel like this is not Texas, fair. That's,
2: that's that's not Texas. That's Texas Tech.
0: Oh, of course. Texas <laughs> that's
2: not that, because Texas was in the yeah. in the eighty uh, percent or more pass breakup. So yeah, so
0: you, you so. just you just wanted to tease me. I get it. So I'll put put Texas name on here twice. <laughs> but uh, this isn't fair. I'm getting too excited. So this is what's going to happen: is either uh, Texas is going to, you know, not perform up to snuff of these numbers, or there'll be no season. So I can go. Well, Texas was going to win. Uh, you know, look at all the numbers and then this, all this stuff happened. So, uh, but, but yeah, man, I mean, the, these, these aren't traditionally great defensive teams. Uh, some of them, I mean, some of them are, are good. I mean, I think anyone in the sec is good. So when we see Mississippi state, uh, re- returning uh, a lot of, uh, good defensive production and a team like Washington generally has good defense, but I think, when you think of Oregon State, UCLA, Illinois, and Louisville, Nick, you think you know offense, uh, or well, I mean, Illinois, you think that's a good baseball team, uh, but with the rest of the the schools, you think uh, offensive production, correct?
2: Well, yeah, and and those those teams that you bring up are interesting because coming into to last year, uh, those were the only four Power Five teams that returned. 80% or more of their tackles, 80% or more of their tackles for loss, 90% or more of their sacks, 85% or more of their pass breakups.
0: And I read and, the suit wrong. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, that that's, that's important because three of those four teams, Oregon State, Illinois, and Louisville, had very, very modest uh, expectations coming into 2019 and became – you know, overachievers in, in a lot of ways. UCLA was was again disappointing. I think we had higher expectations for what ended up uh happening at, at UCLA, but three out of four ain't bad. And and if we're gonna see, you know, Oregon State challenge for a five hundred record when basically everyone expected him to go 10 and or, you know, two and 10 or Illinois who has been a laughing stock and, and, you know, all of a sudden makes it to a bowl game. Louisville was just absolutely dreadful in 2018, especially in the second half of the season. And they're one of the big and, you know, biggest improvers, uh, over the course of the, the 2019 season, they, didn't play very good defense, but, but as a whole, they improved, and so maybe there's you know something to, to uh, look at this as, as a clue that maybe we should have seen it. In 2020, there are three teams that meet all these benchmarks, Vanderbilt, Georgia Tech, and Oklahoma State. Vanderbilt is interesting to me because they were in the wrong end of our discussion offensively. They're one of the least experienced offenses in the country, one of the most experienced defenses in the country. They're the only defense that returns 11 starters. Uh, and, you know, that that's interesting. But offensively, could be a bit of a disaster. So is Vanderbilt going to be a team that, you know, really tries to slow things down, really tries to make it, you know, ugly? Is that something that we can look at uh, when we're looking ahead to next year, if we're looking at you know, unders in, in Vanderbilt games, or if we're looking, you know, from a, a college fantasy football standpoint, are you going to want to have your guy, you know, matchups against Vanderbilt because they are, you know, one of these teams offensively that, that has a chance to be very good, but, or defensively has a chance to be very good, but offensively, you know, they might try to, to change things up to, to, protect themselves. So it's just something to, to think about. Georgia Tech, I would put in a similar position to, you know, Oregon State, maybe Illinois, if everything breaks right, they're a team that could, you know, jump up and, and contend for a bowl game. Uh, Oklahoma State is a team that, you know, despite what I said earlier about Texas being a clear number two, Oklahoma State's in that discussion for a lot of people. And, and we've talked a lot about they bring back Chuba Hubbard, they bring back uh, Tylan Wallace, and Spencer Sanders is going to be better as a sophomore. But defensively, they're up here with, with one of the most experienced teams in the country. And, uh, just slightly below that level, Virginia tech is in that discussion. And, and, you know, there were some others that hit a couple of categories. I I remember Arizona a couple of times, Wake Forest a couple of times. So just something to keep in mind as you're looking ahead at preseason projections, who's on the highest end, who's on the lowest end, because sometimes these outliers, uh, might give us some clues that, you know, we might miss otherwise when we're looking ahead and making projections.
0: Yeah. And I like, uh, you know, I, I like you pointing out Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech specifically, as far as look, there's great, um, uh, there's a great amount of returning production as far as the defenses on these teams go, but the offenses are so bad that they set the defenses up in bad positions a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, either they're turning the ball over, they're going three and out uh, a lot of the time, and. It's, you can have as great a defense as you can possibly muster. And, you know, if your team is going three and out every time or turn the ball over and setting you up with a short uh, field to defend uh, and leaving you hung out to dry on the field a ton, it, sometimes it just doesn't matter. But I really like uh, comparing those teams against, like, an Oklahoma State where we know they're a good offense. Mike Gundy's been there for a 1,000 years. And yep. – um, you know, I mean, he's a man. He's 50. So um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you have the returning offense and, uh, you know, the returning defense as well. A ton of production there. So Oklahoma State could be very, very dangerous in the Big 12 this year. So I uh, love pointing out these teams. i any comments on these returning producers. Well,
1: yeah. Just to give a, a little hope for Vanderbilt fans, the last time that they made a bowl game, their team was kind of similar. Um, Twenty sixteen, I believe. Um, now that I'm looking at the schedule, uh, their defense was amazing. Uh, they held all of their opponents under thirty points um, that year, um, outside of Western Kentucky. Um, and you know, they really led on, um, you know, leaned on their defense all year. That's how they beat Georgia that year, seventeen sixteen. You know, they gave Florida only thirteen points that year. So. The last time that Vanderbilt had defense, I guess comparable to the one they have now, at least in production, was 2016, and it bode well for them. So, you know, just a little hope for the Vanderbilt Commodores.
0: <laughs> I mean, if you say so. so uh, <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I'm, I, you were, you
2: you lumped uh, Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech together, Scott, and, and it was interesting because I, I certainly agree with Vanderbilt. I mean, that the just the 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 uh, overall distinct, you know, how on the, the far end of inexperience they are offensively. And then the far end of experience they are defensively. I, I see that Georgia tech. I, I think I'm a little bit more uh, hopeful. I think offensively, they, they bring back a, a, a fair amount of offensive production, but they were, you're absolutely right. They, they were not very good last year. So it's going to be, it's going to be tricky. To, and to they're see still kind of
0: in a transition, which is why I bring yeah. them up, you know, yeah. from, from moving offensive systems so, you know, they they're, they they played much better than we expected last year even though our our bar was very low. Uh mm. so the the uh production is uh a lot is returning, but I'm just still not uh you know, it, when you go from running a triple option to running a normal offense, sometimes it's just you you got to wait uh, a couple years. It's not like Rolovich going from run and gun over to Washington state where they were already built with the spread, you know, so the personnel, a lot can be, be the same. So that's kind of why I uh, lumped them together. It's, we are just still not Georgia tech, a lot higher upside than Vandy, I would say this year, but still the, the expectation should should be set fairly low, right? Yeah, I think so. All right. Are we ready to go talk about the fun belt boys? (laughs) Let's do this. All right, now uh, looking back last season at the the Sun Belt, uh, it was an interesting one. There's some big wins, obviously. uh, You know, Xavier knows a big big win for his uh, Georgia State boys. It still wound up only being uh, seven and six, uh, but uh, you know, one seventh of their wins were against Tennessee, and that's what matters uh, to him. Now, uh, App State, uh, the class of the Sun Belt for a while at this point. Uh, wound up being 13 and one uh, FES ranked 34 overall best team in the Sun Belt. Uh, Louisiana, uh, a very good season for them. 11 and three uh, 39th ranked overall after that, after those two good squads, there is a gigantic drop off. Uh, Arkansas state was ranked 82nd, uh, still over 500 with a nice eight and five record Georgia Southern uh, seven and six, five and three in the conference uh, and then the only um, you know team above 100 would would be Louisiana Monroe winding up at 97. After that we had Troy at 107 at five and seven, Georgia State at seven and six, Coastal Carolina at five and seven. Uh, and then South Alabama way down there at two and ten. Uh, 120th in Texas State at 122nd. So uh, your initial thoughts looking back at the 2019 Sun Belt Conference, Nick?
2: Well, I mean, I, I will leave most of this to, to Xavier, but my biggest surprise was Georgia State. I mean, we, we uh, had them only favored in two games, only one of those in conference play. Did project them to win four and a half, but for them to get to seven wins. And, and of course the win over Tennessee was uh, the biggest in school history. So very impressed with them, very impressed with Dan Ellington at quarterback and, and specific, you know, the, the uh, grit and determination and all those buzz, buzzwords that he uh, used while playing on a torn ACL uh, at the end of last season. Uh, pretty, pretty incredible. They were a lot of fun to watch. Uh, our numbers, as you mentioned, still didn't, love them necessarily had them ranked 113th at the end of the year behind uh, a couple of teams that did not go to bowl games but they were very impressive a lot of fun to watch and and were certainly a a pleasant surprise as far as disappointments uh troy was high on that list Uh, the preseason we had them favored in nine games expected them to only win about six and a half but uh still they they had an opportunity to compete for uh, the division title, uh, at least we thought, and you know, even with uh, a, a new head coach and Chip Lindsey, a little bit of a, a disappointment that they only won five games, failed to, m- to miss a bowl. Similarly, Appalachian State, we were we were low on Appalachian State, and it's in part because of. Uh, first-time head coach. I mean, uh, Eli Drinkwitz, we, we didn't know very much about him. He had only been an offensive coordinator for a few years, had never been a head coach. So uh, our numbers last year incorporated uh, head coach ratings as they still do, but gave more of a ding to the, the final uh, overall power rating based on first-time head coaches it, you know we, we we put the baseline for a first time uh first year head coach very very low last year bumped it up just a little bit this year because i think we learned from appalachian state specifically uh i mean it, it worked out in some instances we talked about miami we were better you know uh, last year than a lot of uh prognosticators and and people making predictions partly for the same reason, but Appalachian State, we brought their rating down so much as a result that we really missed the mark. I mean, it, it, you know, if you were just going to fill out an empty uh, ballot this time last year, who should be the preseason favorite, Appalachian State would, would make a lot of sense. And that, of course, you know, they, they looked like they were in a completely different class than, than everybody last year. Our numbers did not Reflect that, and the head coach trading was a big reason why. So I, I took, you know, we only had them favored in seven games, expected them to win six and a half. Uh, that we expected them to be a decent team, but we didn't see 13 and one. And I think we probably should have seen something at least a little bit closer to that. So I feel like I learned a lesson from Appalachian State and, and hoping to apply that to other teams. Uh, and when we're looking ahead to 2020, Memphis is one that comes to mind. They have a first-time, first-year head coach and and probably should still be considered you know, one of the best G5 teams in, in college football. So uh, hopefully we learned our lesson a little bit from Appalachian State uh, as far as first-time, first-year head coaches go. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, you know, Georgia State, a lot of fun. Uh, Troy was a bit of a disappointment. And I think Texas State was a little bit of a disappointment. They were... Talk about returning production. They were on the very high end last year, especially defensively. But again, you know, first-time head coach, and and those are hard to predict. So uh, maybe we we you know should have had a little bit uh, lower expectation for them last year. Xavier but, uh, won't
0: forgive me for uh, looking forward to a Texas State game either.
2: Well, and Texas State beat Georgia State (laughs) if if, uh, memory serves. But I expected more from Texas State, uh, really on both sides of the football. And I was really excited about Bob Stitt, former Montana and Colorado School of Mines head coach, was uh, offensive coordinator there, but it just didn't work out. He uh, already, uh, Jake Spavital, has has fired uh, Bob Stitt and moved on. So, uh, you know. Uh, maybe we expected a little too much too soon expected them to win five games uh favored in four but um overall i mean still the the story of the season i think for for most everyone if not
1: appalachian state was was georgia state
0: and xavier your thoughts on the Sun Belt from 2019
1: yeah so obviously you know i think The most pleasant surprise has to be GSU. This is a team going into the year that I didn't even have going to a bowl game. And I go to the school uh, and cover them very closely. Um, We didn't really know what we were going to get from Dan. Uh, We thought he was a really good juco prospect, uh, but didn't think he was going to be a guy that we genuinely thought could win Sunbelt Player of the Year coming uh, about midway through the year. Um, As far as my biggest fail... um, App State is a weird one to have up there because they went 13 and 1, they went 7 and 1, but it's really who they lost to. You know, this is a team that beat North Carolina, beat South Carolina last year. Uh, both teams who, although neither team made a bowl game, had some big wins on the year. You know, South Carolina beat Georgia, um, and North Carolina came just that close to upsetting Clemson. And then they lose to Georgia Southern. And it was really weird because I felt that App State, if they had a random table, could have been the G5 school to represent uh, in the New Year's Six. I really thought they had a really good case with those two P5 wins. Uh, So for them, I feel like it was a little underwhelming for them to lose to Georgia Southern after so many uh, big time wins on the year. Um, And then my, you know, my other thoughts is the Georgia state uh, the Georgia quarterbacks, I have GSU QBs here for Georgia state and Georgia Southern. Um, When you look at Dan Ellington, like I said, who knew that he was going to be such an electric quarterback, but also Georgia Southern. Remember to start of the season, Shy gets arrested. And there's a lot of, you know, up in the air down there in Statesboro. And I think that really contributed to a very slow start from Georgia Southern. Uh, they started off the year one in three. Um, yes, one of those games was against LSU. But I really felt like if Shy had the opportunity to get acclimated.
0: It sucks it really, that he didn't, too. That was an obvious yeah, situation.
1: Exactly. And I felt like if he was there, at the beginning of the year and they had more of an idea of who their quarterback was going to be, they wouldn't have had a, such a slow start and Georgia Southern might've been a much better team than we thought they were. Um, and that they actually were throughout the year. Um, you know, they only lost to Minnesota on the road by three points. And who knows if that, you know, game would have been completely different if shy words was able to have started the year off, knowing he was going to be the quarterback for Georgia Southern. So,
0: Yeah, I mean, this was uh, I I love this conference specifically because, you know, Nick and I play a lot of college fantasy and there's a lot of great production uh, coming out of these schools for college fantasy football. But looking at uh, going over to the 2020 early look here, um, you know, what we have at CFP winning edge as far as uh, these teams ranked, we've got App State, of course, kind of being the class of this conference for. A while now being uh, ranked number one and 45 overall. Zach Thomas coming back for them. A lot of returning production on offense. Darrington Evans are leading. Rusher is gone. uh, But they always seem to have replacements at running backs that are rip-roaring and ready to go. And, you know, it seems like Marcus Williams can be that guy this year, potentially, uh, for them. So uh, they have nine uh, returning starters on offense, four on defense. And then the second-ranked team is Louisiana, once again, a team that has a lot of returning starters, a lot of production returning, especially because they run the ball so much, and Trey Regas and Elijah Mitchell are coming back. And uh, four returners on offense, including the quarterback. Seven on defense, so they should be pretty good. We have them ranked 57. After that, a lot of low-ranked teams, Uh, Georgia Southern. Uh, or Arkansas State, excuse me, comes in uh, as the next highest ranked team at 87 overall, nine returners on offense, including two quarterbacks. Uh, I don't know, Nick, is, is it going to be Bonner? Is it going to be Hatcher? Well, what's going to go on at Arkansas State? That's a
2: good question, and people are split. It seems that uh, the sort of the consensus, maybe not consensus because that's, that's not split, uh, the the, uh, I guess, working theory I've, I've heard most is that Logan Bonner, who uh, was the starter coming out of fall camp but got injured, uh, is likely to start the season or, or have the inside track to getting that job back, despite Lane Hatcher, in my opinion, being better uh, a- after we saw him. I think Arkansas State uh You know, I I think we saw the best of Arkansas State when Lane Hatcher was in there, and and that could have to do with, you know, being more in conference play compared to, uh, you know, the the uh, tougher schedules earlier in the year for Sun Belt teams when they're playing a lot of SEC opponents and things like that. But uh, I'm I'm a Lane Hatcher fan specifically. Uh, I I think that Oklahoma or uh, Arkansas State. would maybe be better at going ahead and, and moving to him. But it sounds like it's going to be, you know, Bonner's going to have a chance to to get the job back.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. But uh, it's, it's an interesting situation to work out, but they have two good quarterbacks. Uh, regardless so they're ranked next highest at 87 then a a couple teams in the 90s in Georgia Southern uh, they got six returning starters on offense six on defense they're 94 96 is Troy with seven on offense and five on defense and then moving down here uh, you know into the 100s dipping down we've got uh, Louisiana Monroe five returns on offense but no quarterback and five returning starters on defense then Troy at 96, 7, uh, or excuse me, Georgia State uh, next at 118, 8, and 9, but no quarterback, obviously. Ellington is gone. Then uh, we have Texas State uh, with five returns on offense, a quarterback that was starting for half the year, and then four on defense. And then uh, Coastal Carolina and South Alabama, not great. Uh, seven on offense for uh Coastal Carolina with five on defense and five and six for South Alabama. So, Nick, uh, 2020 early look at the Sun Belt. What do you got?
2: Well, it seems, again, that it's Appalachian State's uh, to lose. And and, uh, our numbers give a lot more respect to Appalachian State. This go-round part of that is the... Change I talked about with head coaches, uh, but part of it is they're you know basically the the most experienced offense in the league coming back, and and they were uh, quite good defensively, and they played really really good football most of last year. I mean their uh, their overall team performance rating was eighty nine point oh seven. Where you know if you're if you're a ninety, you're a legitimate you know top twenty top fifteen type team. So for them to to be pushing that. Uh, from a a team performance standpoint shows that they were legitimate. I mean, they were, they were legitimately a top 40 type team and, and spent some time in the uh, top 25 in the polls. But uh, we've talked several times before our numbers are, you know, who's going to be favored over who on a neutral field. And, and uh, so you're going to, you know, they're not going to line up specifically with the, uh, the media polls, but for Appalachian State to be a top 50 team preseason is pretty impressive. They're, they're uh, certainly one of the highest G5 teams coming in to this year. Louisiana, if they brought a little bit more back on offense, would be you know uh, a real challenger. And they, mm-hmm. and they still might be. I mean, I'm a, I'm a uh, big believer in Billy Napier. He's done a, a great job there as a first-time head coach. I mean, this is a guy that worked for both Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney, has a uh, really great uh, resume from an assistant coach standpoint, and and, uh, he's proven to be uh, worthy of the task as a head coach as well. I mean, this is a, a program that, you know, recruits really well, especially now under his leadership and, and they're about you know as good as it gets when it comes to running the football. The three-headed monster running back they had last year was was pretty incredible. And for Regus and Mitchell coming back this year, uh, you would expect both of those guys hopefully to see a little bit of an uptick in their overall production. But uh, with Levi Lewis as the quarterback coming back, uh, you would expect that that offense could could continue to put up good numbers, even though they lose a, a couple of big guys on the offensive line. Uh, I, I think that. Georgia Southern with a, a full year of Shy Wirtz as a uh, senior and a full year of Wesley Kennedy as a senior. Uh, their explosive uh, slot back who missed some time early in the year with, a, 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 I think, an academic issue, if, if memory serves. Um, getting both those guys you know, fully healthy, fully uh, on board for a full season, this is a team that is capable of doing some really good things. And obviously they were the only team to beat Appalachian State last year, they're you know arch rivals, and, and uh, that is a fact. But uh, they're they're uh, certainly a team capable of beating anybody on on any given day. And I would throw Arkansas State and Troy in that category as well. Both showed incredible explosiveness offensively, throwing the football. Arkansas State has to replace two pretty incredible wide receivers and and has to get that quarterback situation figured out, but they're, they're going to be tough. Troy uh, doesn't have a quarterback, uh, at least a returning starter losing Caleb Barker, but Gunnar Watson did some good things as a backup last year. Parker McNeil was a Juco all American coming in and, and Jacob free is a a power five transfer. So they've got, they've got some options. I, I think any of those teams, uh, any of those five really is capable of of challenging for a division title, and and even though Appalachian State and Louisiana are the the clear division favorites, it's not going to be easy for either of them. And and you know there are things to like about the rest of the teams as well. Georgia State's very experienced; they just happen to lose uh, the you know potentially those their two best players three best players probably. Ed Carney, a linebacker, uh, is a big loss, but they're hoping to fill some holes. With Power Five transfers, they've got five guys coming in uh, who are expected to play this year. That that were you know fairly uh, well regarded coming out of high school and, and ended up uh, transferring to, to Georgia State, Coastal Carolina. Our our projections have a little bit of trouble with them because they're such a young program. Only joined FBS a few years ago, so their recruiting ratings are, are a little bit off compared to. Uh, some of the other programs and and they've got a great uh, running back CJ Maribel they've got two capable quarterbacks Uh, I've seen some good things analytically uh, numbers related to Bryce Carpenter we were talking about um, you know yards per pass attempt Uh, another uh, interesting one is completion percentage above expectation and and he ranks really really highly there just hasn't been able to fully nail that job down because Fred Payton's done some some good things as well but uh there's there's things to like about a lot of these teams and and there's such a uh parody especially you know from places two through five in each division that it wouldn't be a major surprise to see any you know any uh Final standings. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Georgia Southern wins it. I wouldn't be shocked if Arkansas State wins it. Uh, probably the only thing I would be shocked is if Appalachian State and Louisiana somehow really drop off. But, um, you know, there's going to be fun. There's some good players in this league. They, uh, you know, a lot of good high school players in that part of the country. And, and you know, certain amount of them end up in in the Sun Belt. So uh, I don't think we've seen our last SEC upset. I don't think we've seen our last, you know, uh, double-digit winning season and and potential challenger for a G5 spot in the New Year's Six. So I'm excited
0: about the Sun Belt looking ahead to 2020. Xavier, your thoughts on the Sun Belt for 2020?
3: Yeah, so this is App State's conference to lose. When you look at Appalachian State, I really would like to point to their offense, which Led them a lot last year in some of their tougher games. Uh, I don't see so much of their losing their leadership on defense as hurting them because they bring back so much talent offensively. Um, You look at Louisiana, you're right, Nick. I think if they were bringing back more talent um, and more production, they'd absolutely be able to challenge for App State last year. They gave Appalachian State all they could handle in both meetings last year um, and really came down to the wire um, in both games um, in the conference championship and midway through the year. So I absolutely agree with you there. When I look at Georgia Southern, um, I look at a team that has really the capabilities of winning the conference. You know, when you look at their schedule, most of their big games are at home. They get App State at home, they get um Lafayette on the road, they get uh South Alabama and Texas State both at home and Troy. I think that if they can take care of business at home, then I have no problem with them taking business on the road and being able to win ball games. They are my sleeper pick to win the conference next year. Um although that hurts me so much being a Georgia State fan. Um, when you look at Arkansas state, once again, they're going to be built entirely on offense. Um, they are going to be a Lamborghini with no brakes. Um, I really think that it's going to be tough for them to stop teams, uh, but that was really their Achilles heel last year as well. I mean, that didn't hamper them too much. Um, they're going to have to average about 35 points a game, which just makes them even more fun. Uh, but Arkansas state is another team that I think could do it. And I'm going to say this, I'm going to go out on the limit. I really think Georgia State has an opportunity to win the conference if they can figure out the quarterback situation. They bring back eight starters offensively, nine defensively. You talked about the transfers of, like, Jamias Williams and company. I really think they have an opportunity. If the quarterback position can be solidified and figured out by game one, that they have a chance to really, you know, surprise a lot of people. Um, this is a team that, if I, I really be honest with you, if Dan Ellington doesn't get hurt last year, they the only team that they weren't better than, in my opinion, was Appalachian State. Um, so I really think that they can run the table. Their defense will be extremely better. And I feel like that really hampered them last year and was really one of the, re- one of the reasons why Dan even played most of the games. Because he knew that they needed to score 30 points for them to win game in and game out. Um, so the defense should be much better even losing a guy like Ed Carney. But I really am going to pick them as a sleeper. Yes, it's a homer pick. But at the same time, it's based, you know, partially off the numbers. You know, this defense, if they're able to hold teams under 35 points, which is something that they struggled with last year is going to give an offense that brings back all five stars on the offensive line, their number one receiver from last year and number two receiver from last year, and their backup running back. I don't see why they can't just figure it out at the quarterback position as long as it's not dirt back there. They're going to be fine. Um, and I really give them an opportunity to challenge. Um, when you look at their schedule, they get, some, they get some games at home that are going to be big. They get App State at home. Oh, no, they go to the App State away, but they get Georgia Southern at home, which is huge for us, especially in that rivalry, for them to have to come to Atlanta. You know, I think that Georgia State and Sean Elliott could get it done.
0: I mean, the, the point being that you don't like Texas State, right?
3: <laughs> oh, absolutely not.
0: <laughs> well, that is going to wrap it up for us uh, this week. Um, and uh, next week, we will be doing a G5 returning starters and uh, the independents, an early look at the independents that aren't Notre Dame. So the the rest of those teams and any other news and notes that cro- crop up. But that is going to do it. So remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports, at CFB Winning Edge, at Xavier underscore Trish. And uh, wash your hands, everybody. Stay six feet away from Stay everyone. Right. Don't get COVID-19. And uh, we will see you guys next week. Take it easy.
2: CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon-supported outlet. The more support we receive, the more value we're able to bring to our listeners, readers, and users. There are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season, including written previews, a weekly newsletter, and expanded podcast schedule. However, we can't grow without your support. Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.